Well, I've got so much to say today that honestly, one Bible won't do it. So I hope y'all are comfortable. Um, this may take a while. If you have your Bible, open it with me to the book of Psalms, number 29. The book of Psalms, number 29, and then uh, we're going to make our way quickly through a couple of verses there. And then if you find that verse, then you may turn to Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 4 in your Bible. Psalm number 29. Those of you who are our guests, our service is not usually this long, but uh, we just kind of blew it out today, so be a little longer, but I won't preach too long. Psalm number 29, would you stand to your, with me to your feet as we read God's Word together? <clears throat> Psalm 29 and verse number 1, given to the Lord, O ye mighty, given to the Lord glory and strength, given to the Lord the glory due His name, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The idea today is that we must give first and greatest glory and honor to Almighty God, our Creator, and to His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you sense that today, that this service is to remember and to rejoice and to renew, but it is to remember what God has done for us here in this place. I would like to continue that reading, Psalm number 48, verse number 1, great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness. Again, emphasizing the greatness and glory of God. Again, I turn to Psalm number 78, and I read there in verse 11, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? Thou art the God that doest wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Again, we give glory and honor to God Himself. In the book of Acts, in the New Testament, the apostles had been arrested. This is just shortly after the resurrection of the Lord, a few weeks later. They had been arrested and taken before the council, and there they had been jailed and even beaten. And in verse number 13 of Acts 4, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, not meaning that they were unintelligent, but that they were uneducated men, they marveled at them, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man who was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. And when they commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves. So now the council is speaking privately. They've put the Christian men out. And here's what they said. 
What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. And today, that's my text. Indeed, a notable miracle has been done, and who can deny it? You may be seated. Thank you. What do you say when God has allowed you the privilege of planting a church, of pastoring it for 50 years, and then being able to speak to the people on its 50th anniversary? I give all glory to God today because I never thought that would happen. I never set out to pastor the church for 50 years. I didn't think I'd probably be here then. And God, in His sovereign grace and kindness, has allowed me that privilege. One of my favorite books on leadership is a book by a man named Max DeFee. He wrote a book called Leadership as an Art. And in it, he said in the opening paragraph, the first task of a leader is to define reality, to tell people what is true. The last is to say thank you, and in between, he is to be a servant, end of quote. Well, I love that quote. I've used it extensively. The first of my task is to define reality. The last is to say thank you, and in between is to be the servant of the congregation. The word minister means a servant. And I have tried to the best of my ability to serve you through the years. However, I don't want to wait until it's the last thing to say thank you. Some will say thank you today. Thank you for coming here. Thank you for your cooperation. Thank you for following my leadership. Thank you for inspiring and encouraging me. Thank you for all the kindnesses that you've shown me through the years. And the kindnesses by the infinite multitudes far outweigh all the troubles that the congregation has ever caused me. And so today, as the three words on the wall that we referred to this year, as we look at them and reflect for a moment, today is a day to remember. In 1972, Jerry Falwell in Elmer Towns, my guest today, wrote a book called Capturing a City for Christ. Here was the advice of uh, Dr. Falwell and, and, and Towns. Go to a city, plant a church, spend your lifetime there, reach every available person using every available means at every available time. They gave this a name. They call that a strategy, a philosophy of saturation evangelism. Go to the city and based on Acts chapter 17, fill your city with the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Do everything in your power by every available means to touch as many people with the gospel of Christ as you can. We have followed that strategy. Bus evangelism, Sunday school evangelism, media evangelism, radio in the early years, and then later television, the internet, and all the ways, the podcasts, and so on that we do now. 
the Christian school, Christian education, touching hundreds and thousands of children, the addictions ministry, the sports program, but all of that with just one single purpose in mind, to reach every available person that we can reach in, with every available means, at every available time, with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the thing that we've done that I'm most proud of, we've knocked on every door in this area at least once, and many of them many times through the years, to go and give our very best effort to delivering the gospel of Jesus Christ face-to-face, one-to-one, as often and as in as many different ways as we possibly, as we possibly could. There are many different ways to remember. If I think about these 50, time, these 50 years, I think of them, first of all, in terms of time. In terms of time, it's 600 months. It's 2,600 weeks. It's 18,250 days since that old theater building experience. In terms of property, it's 52 acres that God has given us through the years and 12 building programs. In terms of worship, I calculated we have met together as a church over 8,000 times in regularly scheduled services. In terms of service, it's seen scores of men and women giving their lives to ministry now in 10 different countries around the world and in many of the states of the Union. It's seen the people of this church every week faithfully teach their Sunday school classes, sing in the choir, usher the people in the building, greet them with hospitality, to go out into the community and give the gospel track, to invite the person to church. It, it's an It's a tremendous amount of service represented in these 50 years. In terms of finances, it's $105 million, $727,696.62. Thank God for that. I'm amazed at the giving of the people of this ministry. In terms of outreach, is 10,030 people who have walked our aisles to profess their faith in Christ. It's 5,833 people that we baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. In terms of additions, it's 8,622 people who have joined the church over the 50 years. In terms of memory, it's just too many to count. It's memories of that old theater building with 18 people in that first service. And I brought this Bible up here because I still have it, and uh, it's of great meaning to me. It's marked up and tear-stained, and one night I was talking to a man who was intoxicated, and he knocked his coffee over on it, so I've got that memory here. But I've marked the spot. It's Matthew chapter 27 and verse 22. The first sermon was, What shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? And I remember standing there. It was really a Sunday school outline. I'd never preached a sermon before. My palms were sweaty and I was scared to death. And so I would read the sermon and every now and then I'd shout, which uh, I thought was preaching. You know, if you raised your voice and got loud enough, that was good preaching. Every now and then I'd pound the pulpit, you know, to make my point. 
And uh, God blessed the people that allowed me to learn to preach on you. Some of you are still around. It's memories of two freezing cold winters and two blazing hot summers out there. It was so hot we put up big commercial fans on the side of the platform. They cooled the people off, but nobody could hear. And so we had to take them down. It was memories of the first Sunday when we ran two buses. And I stood on the platform and watched 58 people stream down the aisles and tears streamed down my face. Excuse me. I said, Lord, you're going to do it here. It's really going to happen here when I saw those 58 people walk down there. It's memories of my dad coming to help me as a young preacher who needed help. It's B.R. Lakin preaching revivals twice a year during the 70s and early 80s. Starting Florence Christian in 1973 with 60 students. It's memories of three dedication days, the first auditorium, our chapel, April of 1972. The second auditorium, exactly two years later in April of 74. And then this auditorium that we dedicated in 1992. Our governor, Carol Campbell, came that day, and guess who, who else was here? Jerry Falwell and Elmer Towns. They just kept showing up here. It was a memorable day. I'll never forget it. Some of y'all remember and treasure those memories. First of all, when the building was finished, we put the pulpit right here in place, this one. We laid a big Bible on the pulpit. We had the people sign up. And beginning on the Sunday night before we moved into the building, we had people sign up to read the Bible for 30 minutes, starting in Genesis 1-1. And then we read the Bible. They would read the Bible for 30 minutes. The next person would show up. And we formed a chain 24 hours a day, reading 30 minutes each person. And by Wednesday or Thursday of the week, I can't remember which, we had read the entire Bible over the pulpit of the church before we ever had the first service. We wanted to stain the walls with the Word of God before we ever even called the people together. And then we met down here on the other end of the property, and we walked in silence in a big parade into this building, and we filled it up the very first Sunday. And we didn't say a word until everybody was here and it was time to start. And upon a cue that we'd given the people, we all uttered the first word ever heard in the walls of the Florence Baptist Temple. We all said together in unison, Jesus Christ. We wanted that to be the first thing ever said on our property. In terms of ministry, it's tens of thousands of visits to people's homes. It's thousands of hospital calls thousands of Sunday school classes. It's the joy of weddings and, it's the, and baby dedications. It's the grief of funerals. It's the excitement of revivals and the challenge of missions conferences. It's the anticipation of youth camps and choir tours and missions trips. It's 25 living Christmas tree weekends. It's hundreds of tons of food collected for the needy. 
It's 48 friend days and 50 Easter's, and it's handing the diploma to 1,300 FCS graduates now through the years. There's a poem that I love, and it was written by a lady in Atlanta, Georgia, and I've shared it a few times through the years. And to me, it, it just absolutely sums up everything I want to say to you today about the past. I've dreamed many dreams that never came true. I've seen them vanish at dawn, but I've realized enough of my dreams, thank God, to make me want to dream on. I've prayed many prayers when no answer came, though I waited patient and long, but answers have come to enough of my prayers to make me want to keep praying on. I've trusted many a friend that failed and left me to weep alone, but I've found enough of my friend's true blue to make me keep trusting on. I've sowed many seeds that fell by the way for the birds to feed upon, but I've held enough golden sheaves in my hand to make me keep sowing on. And I've drained the cup of disappointment and pain. I've gone many days without song, but I've sipped enough nectar from the roses of life to make me want to live on. A lot of memories here today, and thank God for them in these 50 years. But today, secondly, is a day to rejoice, a day to rejoice and thank God. And I've read to you pieces of verses, parts of verses of Psalms, because I want to absolutely make sure that the Lord gets the honor and the glory for these 50 years. May I read again from Psalm 29, give unto the Lord the glory due to his name. Psalm 126 says that the Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. And in John chapter 15, Jesus speaking to the disciples the night before his crucifixion said, without me ye can do nothing. Not a little bit, not something. Without me, without his empowering presence, without the indwelling Holy Spirit, without God's anointing, without the Lord coming and dwelling among us, we can do absolutely nothing of eternal consequence, ladies and gentlemen. We can do what the world can do. We can do what human reasoning will lead us to do. We can do what money can buy, but we can do nothing unless God comes and visits his people. And he has visited us through the years I've already recounted some of those results. And as we sung a while ago, to God be the glory, it is great things that he has done. And so today we meet on this day, and I remember that in the Old Testament, significant events were marked with monuments. For example, in Genesis chapter 29, Jacob set up a pillar after he had met God in an awesome nighttime experience. And after he met God, he put a monument there in the form of a stone. He gave it a name. He called it Bethel, the house of God. Not a physical house, 
but the place where he had met Almighty God and his life had been changed. In Exodus chapter 13, the children of Israel were delivered from 430 years of bondage in Egypt. And the Lord instituted something he called the Passover. You're familiar with it. Where they slew the lamb and shed the blood and put it upon the doorpost. And then they would eat the lamb roasted by fire. All of it of deep and consequential significance. And then the Lord told Moses to say this to the people. Someday your children, your sons will come and they will ask you, what does this ceremony mean? And when they come and ask you that, you tell them, it was the Lord that brought us out of bondage in Egypt. All glory to, my, to Almighty God. It was the Lord who brought us out of Egypt. And someday your children will come and look at a figure on the front yard of this church. And they will say, what does that mean? And you will say, God blessed this church for 50 years. And on that 50th anniversary, we put that monument there to the glory of Almighty God and for His Son, Jesus Christ. In Joshua chapter 4, God dried up the Jordan River so they could walk over on dry land into the promised land. And one man from each tribe carried a stone out of the river, and they piled them up, and they formed a monument. And the monument was to the glory of God that he had delivered them and paved the way for them across the Jordan and brought them into the promised land finally. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, Samuel commemorated God's faithfulness with a stone after a great time of God's presence upon the land and a great victory. And they erected this monument. They called it Ebenezer. And so today we have erected a monument here with, by the grace of God. The monument has deep biblical significance. Everything about this sower figure that you're about to see in a few moments, everything about it has biblical significance. It's drawn from Matthew 13, the parable of the sower. And you will see an ancient farmer. He's holding a basket of seed. He is standing on the world, a globe. We know what the interpretation is. It's not Bill Monroe's interpretation. Christ himself gave us the interpretation. And what is it? He says, first of all, the field, the world, the globe represents the field in which we all sow. It's a universal field. It's a worldwide field. Our missionaries are from the Philippines and from Korea and from Africa because we take the seed to all nations, to all peoples. We take it to every language group. We plant the seed wherever there's a human being upon the planet. The field is the world. The seed that the sower is sowing represents the Word of God, the Bible, the Scripture. It represents the gospel, the only hope of mankind. The sower is casting the seed on four types of soil. There is the hard ground, the rocky ground, the ground that's full of thorns, and there's the good ground. And in the garden below the sower figure, all four types of soil are represented on our front yard. The sower is looking outward. He's not looking down. He's looking up and out. It depicts vision and mission and purpose. 
that today we are not ending anything. Today we're opening a new chapter and going forward sowing the Word of God through the Florence Baptist Temple. The sower is located today in a beautiful garden beside a busy highway, reminding us that the gospel is for those who are outside our walls as well as for us who are in those walls. And in days to come when your child asks, what meaneth this stone, this monument, this sculptor? When your child asks that, you tell them that represents everything the Florence Baptist Temple stands for and what we've been trying to do now for a half a century. And to all of you who gave, thank you. We conceived this idea. It was a big project, but I thought we don't want to do some little dinky thing to celebrate what God has done here. And so we commissioned my friend Alex to do the sculptor. He brought me the plans and his, the reality of the vision. And I came to you and I asked you if you would give. I said, give up a cup of coffee a week or a uh, you know, a Coke or, or something, not much, a couple bucks a week each. Don't use our tithes and offerings. We've not used tithes and offering money for this. All of this has been one special project. When the commitments came in, they were for $170,000. As of last week, we had $168,600. It's paid for. And you did it. Thank you. Thank you. Revive. That's the future. Looking ahead, where do we go from here? Well, we live in a troubled world. We live in a divided country today. Don't you wish somebody could bring us together? And Don't you wish... So many things that are happening right now were not happening. Well, if we look around us, we might be discouraged. But there was a missionary. In fact, he's the very first missionary who ever left America to go to the foreign field. He went to faraway Burma. His name was Adoniram Judson. He was a Baptist. When he got there, the Muslims turned against him. He was translating the Bible into the Burmese language. And the Muslims turned against him, and they began to persecute him. His wife died. One of his children died. And they came for him, and they put ropes around his thumbs, and they hung him up in a stinking outhouse where for three or four days he hung by his thumbs. And they cut him down. And somebody said, Judson, what about the future? And here was his statement. The future is as bright as the promises of God. Let that sink in, church. The future, no matter what's happening in the world around us, is as bright as the promises of God. A new generation populates America, though, since I started. It's born and bred in secularism. There's a whole generation of young people that for the most part are very spiritually empty today. 
all they hear in their colleges and universities and high schools and homes and entertainment and media outlets, all they hear is secularism. And it has no answers. It has left them empty as a drum. And I say today that only the Word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ can meet the deepest needs of the human heart. When they get alone at night and pillow their head, when they are by themselves and they're thinking, they have to deal with the great questions of life and eternity. Where did I come from? Secularism gives us no answer. From a tadpole, an amoeba, an evolutionary process? You're kidding me. A process started all of this? Blind fate? You're too smart for that. That's unsatisfying. Why am I here? Why is it there's this emptiness in my soul and in my heart today that even with all the material blessings that some of us have, I'm still empty on the inside? Secularism is silent. It can tell them nothing. Why is there so much suffering and so much evil in the world? Secularism has, evolution has no answer to that. The Bible gets to the third chapter and tells us, you call it sin. You call it rebellion against God. That's why there's evil and suffering and death in the world today. And every one of us wonders what happens after this is over. Life is not going to go on forever. Every one of us are going to pass into eternity. It is appointed and demand once to die, and after that, the judgment. What is going to happen after that? And secularism and, and, and what we're seeing in the world today, postmodernism, it has no answer for the great questions, the ultimate questions of life. And we have the answer in the gospel. Old Bob Jones was a Southern evangelist, a Methodist. And he said, one day as a country boy in Alabama, I was walking down a dusty road. And a thought came to me. It's the greatest thought I ever had. He said, the thought came to me, like it or not, I have to live somewhere forever. Like it or not, I'm going to live somewhere forever. Well, if that be true, I might as well figure out how to live. And he turned to his Bible, and he found Christ, the answer to life. And I want to close on that note because we've built this church on the belief that every time a man stands behind this pulpit, the gospel of Jesus Christ should be given. And today will be no exception. And I want to tell you here today, no matter who you are, you're a sinner. You are a sinner, and the wages of sin is death. Physical death and spiritual death as well. Every one of us have sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us at some time in some way, and some of us many times in many ways, we have broken God's law. 
And that separates us from God because He is a holy and a righteous God. And though He is a God of love, He is just as much so a God of justice and holiness. And so our sin separates us from Him. He cannot fellowship with wrong. He cannot tolerate the violation of His law or the world would become a place of the whole universe would turn into anarchy. And because He loved us, and because He's a merciful God and a caring God, a God of great kindness, through the miracle of the virgin birth, Jesus Christ entered into history. And He came to this earth, and He lived 33 years. He never sinned one time, the perfect, sinless Son of God, God in human flesh. And he went to the cross, and hanging on the cross, he paid for the sins of us all. It was as if God took every sin of every human being and piled it upon the Lord Jesus Christ's shoulders, and he suffered for Bill Monroe and Elmer Towns and for everybody here and for all who are listening to me, wherever you may be. John Calvin, Charles Spurgeon, Moody, I don't know how many different people of varying theological persuasions said you can describe Christianity in one word, and that word is substitute. When Jesus Christ was on the cross, He was dying as your substitute and my substitute. He was dying in our place. He became sin for us who knew no sin that we through Him might become righteous, the very righteousness of God. Boy, that's the best news anybody could ever hear. Because since He has paid for our sin, He's cleared the way to God. And now, my sin doesn't have to separate me from a holy God because Jesus paid it all. Justice has been served as Jesus bore the punishment for my sin. And now God acts toward me in love and kindness and mercy and forgiveness. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For the last month, every evening service has been nothing but testimonies from people. And the lay people of our church spoke. And they came and stood behind the pulpit here, and the whole service was given over to them telling you of the amazing power of Jesus Christ to save from sin and to transform lives. My friend today, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, I beg you this morning to come to Christ, 
to put your faith in him, to repent of your sins, to turn from them and turn to him. This is the gospel message that we've been preaching here for 50 years. This is the message that as long as I'm here, I'll continue to preach it. And when I'm gone, I know the people of this church, you'll want somebody to stand here in my place and continue to preach the only hope of mankind, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Salvation is a free gift. You don't have to clean up your act and reform and become perfect before you pray for him. You'll never, you, you will never receive him if you do that. Salvation is God's gift. You don't help him with it. You don't earn it. You don't add to what he's done. You just pray and say, Lord, I want you to come into my life today. An undeserving person, but a person that you loved and for whom Christ died, I want you to come. And I want you to save me right now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Lord, we dedicate this monument to you. Thank you for allowing me to come and plant a church. Thank you for every person who has knocked on a door, who has invited a friend, who has prayed a prayer, we shared the gospel. Lord, whatever we've done, we know we will never regret. And you have blessed it. And today we have a monument, a beautiful biblical epic figure that will remind us and the people who pass by that the job of the church is to get the gospel to the world. May we never forget the mission dedicate this to the glory of yourself and your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and for his sake. Amen. I enormously humbled and privileged to be involved with such a project. Thank you very much, first of all, the congregation for supporting this project. We worked on the project together and I remember when I saw you first time and we spoke about the project and you said, I like it. Maybe you can put it on the globe. It is just honor to be a part of this beautiful, beautiful ceremony and these beautiful people and thank you very much personally. Thank you very much. God bless you. Thank you.